Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Atlas Loom, an exploration of world building for tabletop and beyond. My name is Endeavorance, and with me, as always, is a woman who just finished cleaning her whole apartment using nothing but her toothbrush, Diana of the Rose. How'd that go? Uh, well, emphasis on my toothbrush. It wasn't a spare toothbrush. I just used mine. Uh, I mean, it adds some flavor. You gotta get, you gotta get the pumice in the tooth the bristles if you want to have the whitest teeth. Oh, I always forget pumice is a word. What a horrible pumice. word. I just got a new oh. bar of soap that's got pumice as a listed ingredient. Ugh. I don't know. Exfoliating. I don't like that <laughs> what, you don't like exfoliation? I don't I don't like a word that sounds like a mix between pus and hummus. I oh, that's well, fuck. my beef. You just it. ruined pumice for me. Yeah. You ruined yeah, hummus right. for me. No. Anyway, welcome back to our world building podcast. If you build a world, make sure pumice doesn't exist, please. You just <laughs> took hummus away from me. You're you just took you you took the entire concept of hummus. I yeah. get fucked. I'm gonna go. I gotta go throw a few things away. Hold on. <laughs> Endeavor's messaged me yesterday, uh, or like the day before, and he's like, "Hey, what are we, what are we doing this next episode on?" And he spat out like three different options, all of which are incredibly difficult for someone like me to conceptualize. And so I chose tone and vibes, and uh, that's what we're going off of today. I will admit right off the bat, I did not come up with like a bullet point list of things to talk about. I felt like it was appropriate to have uh, no plan, just vibes for the vibe episode leave it up to the vibes but what about the tone yes i mean like like coolish sort of undertones maybe um i think what about overtones oh shit uh purely sexual overtones Mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. yeah welcome back to the atlas loom uh tone tone and vibes arguably one of the most important parts of your world and also arguably one of the the most difficult to verbalize and nail down it's so easy to fuck up. Mm-hmm. So easy. And it'll throw off your entire world's balance if you do. Not to mention that there is the choice of what is the tone of your world? What's the what's the general atmosphere, the vibe? Is it positive? Is it negative? Is it hopeful? Is it, pe- is it pessimistic? And then the story that you're telling within that world. Because the world itself has its own sort of feeling. And the stories you want to tell have story beats that require certain feelings to be evoked. Do those feelings match the world that you have made? Do they go against it? Should they go against it? Or should they work with it? That's what we're going to talk about today. The tone is really ingrained into everything that you do in your world, every little bit of it. And it's kind of one of the first things that you need to think about. Um, For instance, an academic tone, right? It doesn't even have to be an academic storyline that you're trying to tell, but just like the setting of it, everything has to contribute to that. So, you know, uh, if we have a magic school type vibe very common very fun every little detail in your world is going to contribute to that the school itself the building might be made of a certain rock type like marble that exudes an air of opulence might have gold filigree on all of the the robes that the professors wear something that says hey i have high status uh there might be giant gates leading onto the property of that school there is going to be the chatter of students in the air just like constantly surrounding whoever your pov character is um everything that happens is going to contribute to that and it would be very out of place to have something not contribute to that like if you had this academic vibe in the world and then all of a sudden you know the fucking skies are overcast and you know thundery and there's lightning striking down that kind of conflicts with the fresh spring air college student type 
atmosphere that you've built up to that point. Um, so that's like kind of, I guess, just one general example of how every little detail has to contribute to your overarching theme. Absolutely. I think that's a great example. And I really want to dial in throughout this entire episode on the way that you immediately went to what is what do you see? Because one of the biggest things with tone and conveying tone, vibes, whatever you want to call it. I'm just going to go back and forth between the two so I don't just say tone a million times this episode. When you're trying to convey the vibes, show, don't tell is always better. Every single time. Walking into a building and giving all of the details that allow your players, your reader, your whoever to come to their own conclusion is so much more powerful because they have now put together all the pieces in their head that you have provided and then constructed their imagination of the scenario that they find themselves in, which they're then able to hold on to and will probably remember better in the future rather than you walk into a room, it's tense. <laughs> That's well, why is it tense? I don't know what that means. But if you walk into a room and there are two people already like holding us like one's holding a sword to the other one's neck already with a person off to the side who's visibly shaken and somebody who has like dropped something and and won't even go move to pick it up or everyone's frozen in place because the slightest movement could could end someone's life that's much better than saying this is tense Mm -hmm. going as far as to explain like there is a sense of of nobility or status around the professors with the with the gold filigree on their capes i loved that i just like the word filigree honestly filigree is a great word (laughs) it's really good going back a little bit though to choosing your world's tone and vibe it's probably not going to be the first thing you think of it may be i've i have done that in the past where uh, i think 2018 was like a record-setting year for rain where I lived. And it, it was causing flooding issues. It was just constantly raining. It was overcast nonstop. Every day was just miserable for months. Seattle. Not, yeah. not Seattle. Still still not in <laughs> Seattle. Still, you, last time it was the gum wall. Now Listen, we're talking about the weather. I have a hatred of Seattle purely based off of the gum wall and the weather alone. We've hit the two points that I wanted to hit on this the, podcast. The big ones, really. <laughs> But I took the vibe that I was feeling from all that rain, which was depression, and Mm. I used that as inspiration for a game project. I made a world that was in an endless rainstorm, and it wasn't about the rain necessarily. It was like a magic storm that was causing a resurgence of monsters or whatever. But the oppressive nature of that weather inspired me to make a world that was specifically oppressive in nature literally in nature it wasn't oppressive from political systems it was oppressive from this is a hostile environment now Um, Mm -hmm. and more so it wasn't a hostile environment before and then something happened and now it sucks and we're dealing with it sucking because that's what i went through i went through like oh this is uh, you know normal weather it's time for summer nope you don't see the sun you don't get the sun (laughs) but from there You've got your initial tone and you're starting to build out your world. Maybe you maybe you started to build your world with some random thing and then you decided like, you know what? I want to make this gothic. I want to make this uh, futuristic but optimistic rather than cyberpunk and pessimistic or whatever. Mm-hmm. But whatever you land on, 
you can go in two different directions. One, you can stick with that. You can stay stay in your lane, more or less. And you're going to have a pretty, pretty good time keeping everything sensible. But if there's anything about this podcast that we know at least about about me is i don't uh, sensible doesn't does not matter to me i don't i don't know i've never been sensible in my life but you can you can start with a given tone and then turn it on its head and there's a few ways that you can do this that actually contribute positively to the story rather than causing whiplash for example let's say that you set out to make a world that is overtly over-the-top fantasy super bubbly fairies and magic and happy and rainbows and shit but then you roll an extremely dark campaign or you tell just a really dark story or underneath the surface of this town or of this world rather is a terrible secret maybe this is not real Maybe this fanciful world that everyone is seeing is a shared hallucination because the world that actually exists is so destroyed and horrific that the only way for people to maintain their sanity is to collectively buy in essentially to the matrix. And that lets you just completely subvert and juxtapose this happy-go-lucky tone with a bleak, horrifying tone. Oh, yeah you can't just have like full-on horror the entire way through there's no states if you do that like you know curse of strahd for instance and i'm gonna keep going back to curse of strahd because it's the only thing that i've been playing recently uh it's it's a dismal world it's constantly overcast the people dress in drab clothing but there are some key characters in the game who have colorful clothing they have smiles on their faces where normally villagers in this in in barovia do not in the slightest there are people who have hope there's someone out there making toys for children and the children are out playing with these toys in the streets and their parents were dressed in like just grays and purples and have absolutely no expressions on their face or just watching off to the side and it gives it it makes it not necessarily realistic but it gives real vibes it it puts stakes out there and makes it feel a little bit more serious um that being said the specific story beats too when you make that switch Oh my god, that can be so powerful. Like, I got a friend right now who's running a game who it's a the, the players couldn't decide if they wanted like a magical school type game or a horror type game. So, he's running it so that it starts off as a magical school, very idealistic, very uh optimistic. People are just going about their day, settling themselves into their classes and establishing themselves in the social circles of this school. And then all of a sudden, everything's going to go to shit. Some dinner is going to get interrupted by the most horrifying attack. Zombies, you know, a torture, some sort of like dismal. Spoilers. Abrupt shift. He didn't tell me any of that. That's just what I would do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if it were me ruining your campaign, here's how it would look. And so that sort of tone shift uh, lends massively to the experience of your players it's, it's it, that's the type of stuff that people will never forget mm-hmm. is like that moment absolutely it's it's so much bigger than you meet the big bad evil guy and he's the big bad evil guy yeah. you know you, you've made it to the evil layer after adventuring towards the evil layer to kill the evil guy who was doing the evil things to the town that didn't want evil things happening to them and then you meet the guy and he's like hello i'm evil and then you kill him and that's the end of the campaign like predictable yeah yeah, that's that's just like that's 
stagnant. It doesn't give you that moment of, I have been flipped on my head. I, as the player or as the, the reader or the viewer or whatever, cannot deal. Like, I, I, the actual person, am feeling the emotional effects of what just happened. And that is what is going to drive the most incredible character development and memorable moments, as Diana said. That is the kind of thing that people will then go to a nerd party and be like, this one time my DM did blah. <laughs> and like, you want to be that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So I plan out my campaigns, you know, with a tone in mind from the outset, because again, this should be a foundational part of what you're planning. Uh, what I do then is I go to fucking Pinterest, dude, to come up with like the set pieces, the actual visuals, which will contribute more heavily to your tone than almost anything else. Um, straight up, I will go to Pinterest and be like, I want a dark academia campaign. Just search dark academia and look at the pretty pictures, look at the <laughs> outfits, look at the, the, the dark hallways of these opulent sort of like buildings with very tall curved roofs things that you wouldn't even think of right but that are common to this theme if i wanted a a horror setting it would be a lot of like views from inside a building out a window at a cloudy sky I keep going back to cloudy skies man um you all right you need to you need to today was the first cloudy day in bend in like fucking forever and i guess it's hitting hard uh because <laughs> again we don't have cloudy days here um you shouldn't oh, wow. by the way yeah Going back to the academic vibe, you know, stacks of books, candles, long wooden tables, that sort of thing. That yeah. is, that'll do most of the work for you, honestly. Um, so that's kind of where I start. I also recommend listening to music, atmospheric sort of like instrumentals that give the vibe of what you're thinking. If you're going for a very adventure heavy sort of like standard D&D style, like discovering yourself, adventuring out into the wilderness and defeating monsters sort of vibe, you can find playlists for that on Spotify. Throw that out in the background while you world build and that'll guide you in subconscious ways that will help you a fuck ton. Um, that's what I do. That's what I recommend. It's very similar to how people build characters. I mean, especially for people who are going really hard into their their character backstory and things like that. Like the real pros will make Pinterest boards and make Spotify playlists for their characters. And that like just helps them set the tone for their character. So take that, do it for your world. Making making a note for myself. You're not, you not a real pro. You're pretty bad at this. Okay, yeah. got it. Mm -hmm. I've not made a playlist for my for my characters. So for Lua. For Lua uh. it would just be silence. <laughs> Wait, no, but that's so good. There's that uh what is it? 4 444, I think. Hold on. Hold Sorry. on. Gerard, Gerard. Gerard, I need you to look something up for me. 433. 433. Thanks, Gerard. Is that like an area code? Uh oh, good. Yes. There's uh Wikipedia even has the the audio of this wonderful song. Um so what? if you look up four four minutes and thirty-three seconds, so like four apostrophe thirty-three quote, um, it is a song. That is four minutes and 33 seconds of silence. It is a literal orchestration. <laughs> what? And it is it is four minutes and 33 seconds of uh what the hell uh what's it what's the what's the oh my god. What's the note called that's not that's just a pause? Is it pause? Rest. It's a rest. It's entirely rests. That's what it is. God. Jesus. I love how it says that it's composed in 1952 for any instrument or combination of instruments. It doesn't matter. What instrument do you play? You can play this. Congratulations, you're now a musician. I love that there's actually a playable file. That <laughs> yeah, is four minutes and 33 seconds of, oh, of man. nothing. 
Um, it's also on YouTube. You can go listen to it on YouTube if you want. Um, for context, my character Lua is a character in Diana's campaign. He cannot speak. Uh, and so if he had a playlist, it would probably just be that. It would be, oh, actually, no, it would be that followed by uh, that, that song once, followed by like 40 copies of Turn Down for What? I think that's it, actually. That really fits his vibe perfectly. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Very goodness. Uh, so let's talk about, okay, so you said looking up pictures uh, and using that as as your inspo, like get your tone, look that get up on. Board. Get like, a mood board. That's what mood boards are for. Hell yeah. Um, I like to ask questions with the context of the tone or the goal of where I'm trying to move towards with a given mm-hmm. scene. So I will say, okay, I want this area or this sequence or this scene to be foreboding. I want it to feel ominous. I want it to to feel dangerous. And I know I want to have these major set pieces. Uh-huh. What alterations or, or, or details in these set pieces can I add to get me closer to that feeling? And one example of taking an existing like set piece and trying to add more ominousness more of the vibe you're going for in in whatever direction um Mm -hmm. i had essentially a large area that was entirely like just a few inches of water instead of instead of just like ground it was just a few inches of water and um there was a massive tree in the middle of a, a big clearing it was housing a giant sloth uh, which was like a a big kind of scary creature. It was sort of a don't don't wake up this giant sleeping sloth monster, uh, but you need to get something from this tree. And so oh. it was supposed to give a sense of, you know, you hear before you even get there, you're hearing it's a massive, massive creature. And so you're hearing it's breathing. It's asleep. And you're hearing from from before you even have visual of it. You just hear what sounds like aggressive wind and some sort of a low rumble and that in and of itself in a spooky sort of like misty forest with like a bit of water on the ground and like it was also in another sort of plane that they weren't super familiar with and then adding hallucinations adding in um mirages within the mist just people Uh thinking that they're seeing creatures adding actual creatures to the mist right. that once they're once they think they saw something and they're and it wasn't and they start to ignore things that they're seeing reminding them that sometimes it's still dangerous out there finally adding more color to the or more flavor to the actual tree itself which was this giant gnarled oak that had these teardrop shaped objects on them and inside those teardrops were lost souls and so evoking the emotions felt by those lost souls that were captured in these teardrops and and instilling that into the 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 characters um telling them that like as they're approaching they are feeling their their essentially a sense of heartbreak or Mm -hmm. their their insecurities are coming out in ways that don't make any sense and they are just taking on the grief and the the confusion of these souls that are lost in this tree all the while trying to not wake up this giant creature and navigate this strange place and all of that resulted in the exact vibe that i was going for which was they their primary goal was get what they need and get the hell out 
there it was not they were not dawdling they were not messing around because they were like we are very clearly in a strange land that we shouldn't be in and we need this thing and it's incredibly dangerous and there's not really another option but we've got to make it work and it added a great level of everyone was just on edge it, it just it made everybody nervous which in the right amounts is what makes it fun to sit at the table and and get into all of that. I think you're getting at something really important there. And I was going to talk about this in a separate episode related to describing scenes and things like that. And this is something that I picked up from, I think Connie Chang made a video about it one time, about breaking things down into the five senses as you're describing scenes. Um, and this is a fantastic tool. Everyone should keep this in their back pocket. But when it comes to what you just described, for instance, you had the water underfoot, like that would feel cold you had the mist in the forest around you clinging to your skin you had the sound of the slight breathing of the creature you had the visual of the teardrop kind of going through each of your five senses and thinking to yourself and asking yourself those questions like what would this sound like what is the atmosphere like what does this feel like is the air heavy is the water cold that will do so much for you when it comes to describing these sorts of scenes to your players and kind of getting what's in your head out there to them the five senses are like a really easy starting point when it comes to that sort of thing. I want to dial in on, you alluded to this, but I want to say it very explicitly. Asking, the, asking those questions to yourself is an incredibly useful tool for just yourself even. Not even oh, just yeah. for conveying the scene to people, but to answer the questions for your own dang self and to to see what shakes out of that. Which is why I said like I I ask myself questions what what would make this just a little spookier what would make this just a little more welcoming what would make this uh just a little more heinous and mm -hmm. or or if if i'm taking something that isn't quite there or I'm maybe i'm like i had to move a plot point somewhere else and now it's in like a very different section of the world or a very different part of the story and like it went from, you know, maybe earlier in the adventure when you were all kind of starry-eyed, but now you're beleaguered and tired and this thing yeah. wouldn't make sense anymore. Reworking that and asking, how can I take this thing? Maybe it was an upbeat, fun merchant that you were going to run into, and now it's like a downtrodden, down-on-his-luck merchant or something like that, or a dead merchant who, <laughs> you know, whatever it may be. Changing that up and and asking yourself the question of, like, where are we now? What is What is the tone that I'm going for? How can I modify this? That is where we're at. Yeah. Keeping uh, yourself on your toes, basically, and adapting to your players. Because that is, most of the game is collaborative storytelling, not just, like, you shouting at them what happens. You know, adapting absolutely. to them makes so much sense, and it's something you should be doing by default. <laughs> I am going to do something interesting here, Diana. Are you ready to go on a wild ride with me? Yeah. Uh, right. are, what, what, we're gonna we're gonna merge episodes. Holy we're gonna shit. we're gonna reach backwards in time through the audio files and the video files into last episode about oh, yeah. stealing because I, I would like to talk about stealing and editing the vibe as a method of yoinking, as we previously uh -huh. discussed. Um. You the brought up the vibe is thievery. No, uh, so taking taking a pre-existing thing, and as you said last time with like John Wick, as always, uh, I watched that again right after we filmed that. Oh my god, dude! I, I, I watched think... I watched John Wick for the first time last night because of you. 
You hadn't seen it? I hadn't seen it. I'm going to watch the rest of it now because it was fucking amazing. Endeavorance. Buddy. But I watched it. You, you watch were, it. You, and I talked about been... it for so long assuming you had fucking seen it. I had been friends with you for so long assuming you had seen it. I know the the general story beats, which is you killed Keanu Reeves' dog. <sighs> now you're going to die. Uh, but I hadn't actually seen it. I've seen the second, I've seen the middle, the middle 30 minutes of the second movie. Uh, but I, yeah, I'm about to go. The second one's the worst one. Not that I've it's heard bad, that four it's just is really good. Is four the best? Four is the best. Yeah, I'm super excited. <gasps> if they get better from the first, which was fucking stellar. Um, so I want to talk about <laughs> taking something and twisting the vibes around and getting something new out of it. So sort of extending on what we were talking about with Yoinking. You can take an existing uh, bit of inspiration or wholesale story or concept, you know, maybe change all the names and, and, you know, do a little bit of work so that you're not quite just plagiarizing, but then flip it on its head. As Diana has said before, with taking something like John Wick and, and inverting it or whatever, you can take a franchise, you can take a, a, a well-known story, and you can tell it in a different light. For example... And these are, I think, two things that you have not seen. So I apologize, but great. Here we go. Fucking I, I strap in. I'm getting roasted thing. by our audience. I, I another episode to in a row. Watch Deborah's. your movie. <sighs> all right, and it was fucking great, and I loved it, and you have improved my life because of it. Uh -huh. um, I'm going to talk about the Princess Bride now. God so, fucking damn it. The Princess Bride, comma, a movie that Diana still has not seen, comma. Which was a whole conversation that is restricted to our Gilded World Weavers because we had to cut it out of the episode. So become a Gilded World Weaver today to see me get absolutely fucking obliterated by Endeavorance for not having seen a movie that came out in 87. Okay, but, uh, we're not going to get into this again. But uh, yeah, go to the theatlasloom.com and sign up, support the podcast. Thank you Subscribe. so much. I have something in my eye. Um, somebody rubbing my eye. Anybody who's watching the video version of the podcast right now, please enjoy version. me rubbing my eye for the next probably five minutes. Yeah. The so, vibe is going blind. The vibe is going blind. Welcome to the Atlas Loom, a podcast where we do the same bit on loop forever. <laughs> Listen, we're not, we never... Look. <laughs> the vibe is that we never took improv lessons. The vibe is that Diana and I will come up with like random slogans and then we both just start saying it unironically. In a matter it's of hours. It's just an hours. echo chamber. Yeah, it's rough. Um, so, Princess Bride. The Princess Bride is a, it's a comedy, right? Like, it is a lighthearted comedy film. And it's about a woman who fell in love with a man that then went away and presumably died. And the woman gets, I don't know what the term, selected, chosen, to become the wife of the land's king, who she does not love, or prince, or whoever. And then... Her former lover t t turns out he's not dead and comes and saves her and big adventure and meets cast of characters along the way and all that good stuff. Spoiler. Spoiler. It is a very lighthearted adventure involving uh, animated characters who all riff off of each other so very well, but it's all pretty jovial. Even the, even the sort of sad or or scary or stern parts are still pretty lighthearted comparatively mm -hmm. and you could take that story and you could make it dark Ooh. you could make it really dark because oh, here's a, a woman idea. who was in love who everything everything in her life was about this guy who went off and to her knowledge was murdered by pirates and then while she's grieving 
is snatched up and chosen for uh to to become the forced wife of royalty who also spoiler again since you're probably never going to watch the movie i assume look uh, someone actually sent it to me i have a dvd now we can watch that instead of john wick 4 if we want a sure. massive downgrade in our own. well we could do both uh <laughs> make popcorn the other spoiler is and i'm sorry to anybody who hasn't seen it if you're listening to this podcast you've probably seen it um the prince intends to murder her he intends to use that his chosen fiance as a uh conduit to start a war he was going oh. to kill her and leave her body dumped on a shore uh to make it look like another country killed her before the wedding so that he could start a war with that country and that's all a pretty good plot line there's yeah. hooks there's twists there's secrets and they just happen to tell it as a comedy, as a, a enjoyable, lighthearted adventure. Hello, this is post-recording, uh, now editing, beleaguered endeavorance. I just wanted to pop on and, and say that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that The Princess Bride is primarily a book. <laughs> and it was originally a book and was adapted to a film. And the point of the film is they're reading the book and the, the, the movie is the enactment of the book point being i'm aware it's a book don't at me i i just i call it i i i've mostly interacted with the movie and that's what uh has a a, a grip on my heart uh or my what is that saturn anyway um if you're listening to this and not watching this i'm wearing a space shirt and i'm pointing to saturn this is going great back to the episode bye but if it's instead you are the guy who they think was murdered by pirates and now you are you find out that your former lover is being forced into marriage with the prince of this land you could probably add in some more stuff there around you know the motivation for why you're returning how you learned about that so on and so forth but it's still a cast of characters going on an adventure to save someone and stop a larger plot that they got swept up in uh -huh. and along the way there's torture there's loss there's murder the every character in the movie has like their own ulterior motives as well uh you've got uh, inigo montoya who is trying to avenge his father who was killed by one of the people who's in the court involved in conscripting this woman like everyone's sort of intertwined and it would just make such a good serious movie too it, it would just work and so you don't even need to come up with your own plot you can take all those story beats you can make it darker and you can run it exactly and i guarantee nobody would be like this is just the plot to the princess bride like oh, yeah. they would like yeah, we talked about like, last what? episode no one's gonna fucking know that you stole your concept from something else and um, all you've done is change the tone right yeah, like you all just you've done is exactly you've changed the way that the story was told you didn't change the story but it mm -hmm. does change the story <laughs> no longer a love story now a story about someone clawing for their freedom yeah Wild. it's about it's about a desperate attempt to free a an otherwise condemned and heartbroken person uh which is i think pretty rad another example that i have listed here and this is much much less in depth but game of thrones but make the families incompetent right like make all the all the ruling i mean like the the, the show itself that's kind of how it is. All the ruling families are wackadoo. But you can make it much goofier. Game of Thrones is a very serious show. You can make it super goofy. You could take 
the intense political dynamics of Game of Thrones, right? It's like the the gold standard, if maybe if not the gold standard, is the most well-known public fiction that is all about intense politics. Uh, but what if they were just goobers and had no idea what they were doing and they were just completely inept at actually running anything and all of their attempts at like vying for power failed spectacularly and that in and of itself was its own issue of like maybe you play as some some peasants who live in this world and are constantly dealing with this fallout and now you're like you know what let's liberate this place from all of these ruling families and your quest is to go essentially usurp all of these complete morons but like you're still fighting from a position of of you know david versus goliath they still have all the resources and the castles and the the armies and whatnot and the money and you're just some dude but here we go so jumping around here a, a, a little bit i do want to go back to the tree with the teardrops so because cool. i mentioned that it was a foreboding nerve-wracking sequence the overall campaign that they were in was not that tone it was not foreboding it was not that scary it was it was a more of a grand adventure vibe it was it was more upbeat it wasn't explicitly a, a comedy campaign but it was mm. not meant to be a a super high pressure situation but just because you're not currently doing it in the overall campaign, the overall world, the overall story, doesn't mean that you can't veer off that path, dabble in some other emotions and other vibes, and then make your way back. And you can even combine them. You can you can sort of dither your way from one vibe to another. Another great word. Mm -hmm. um, here is a very good example, I think. With that sequence where they were in that sort of alternate plane foreboding massive monsters trying to do uh, an extraction of a, of a relic. The reason that they were there was they were searching for the dead son of a dwarven father who hails from the Jansport clan. And their whole Is thing this, hold on a fucking second. was Wait, this, they I was... all had backpacks full of tons of equipment. Oh. Dev, I was looking at your fucking episode notes for this for this segment and I was like, what the fuck is the Jansport saga? The audience, that's literally what he wrote. Three, three words. The Jansport saga. Is that what oh my god. <laughs> it was a clan of it was a clan of dwarves. Uh-huh. Uh who all carried around like all of their personal possessions in massive backpacks. Uh and they were the Jansport clan. <laughs> anyway, Jansport, if you're listening. If you're listening, sponsor, sponsor us. us. So, uh, DeMarco Fastidious Jansport. Oh, the my God. Fastidious? Father who, mm, who, the father who lost his son. Despite being named DeMarco Jansport uh -huh. and having a giant, goofy backpack, he was mm -hmm. a grieving father. And I portrayed him as such. And that that the juxtaposition of, like, absurd name, absurd concept, absurd clan... It's tough to pull off sometimes with that stark of a contrast. Yeah. But showing like, hey, here's a fun gag. We're we're playing we're playing a game here. We're make believing, and that is inherently absurd. Let's let's acknowledge that inherent absurdity of what we're doing here, and have fun with it. But we're also still 
compassionate people, and we're here because we all have beating hearts and want to feel things. And DeMarco was a grieving father. He had lost his son. He had no idea where his son was, and he was fearing the worst. And unfortunately for him, the worst did happen. There was a sequence in which we had, he, he, he found his son's dead body and, and was mourning it. Um, and ultimately died cradling his son's body, but it, his taking, grave just had the little, like the thing, the little diamond thing that all transport backpacks have with the little, like two holes in it. Oh my God. Yes. Oh, that's, Jesus. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. I should have done that. <laughs> but taking, taking a, taking your tone and bending it as far as you can to see where it ends up. I, I, I loved that. I loved that sequence for me and, and for the players because it we had been in the grand adventure space for so long and shaking it up and shaking it up with while leading it up, leading them on to believe that this is just another goofy arc by introducing a goofy character or a character who seems like they should be goofy and then are not goofy. That was, was my way to segue us from the sort of more lighthearted goofy tones that we have into grieving father, scary alternate world, finding yeah. dead bodies, etc. I kept that little inkling of the original sense of the world with here's the Jansport clan. Haha, -ha, we can always look back at that and remember that that's kind of funny as we're going into this very, very heavy segment. And I think that let me veer us towards the vibe that we were looking for or that I was looking to, to portray without just giving my players complete whiplash. That does kind of touch on something I wanted to talk about and that we'll probably talk about more in other episodes of the Atlas Loom, especially when it comes to the more TTRPG. Like, functionally, this is how you run a good game with regards to your world-building sort of episodes that we'll have. Um, a little less sexual overtones on those ones. But for mm -hmm. right now, it is important to note that the tone of your world should be at least somewhat guided by what your players want out of it. A lot of DMs and gms just kind of come into things thinking like okay i want to tell a specific story like this is the story i'm gonna tell whether they like it or not um and when you have a big enough pool of players and potential like friends to choose from where you can put out a call of like hey this is the tone of my story anyone who wants to join come in um if you don't have that if you just have like you and your circle of friends who all are like oh i kind of want to play dd you should ask them what kind of tone they're looking for out of the story. You should kind of let that guide what you do. If they want a silly campaign, go for it. If they want, like, absolutely hardcore, like, fully serious, dramatic, like, NPC deaths, player deaths, things like that, you should know that based on session zero info and things like that. And then kind of use that to guide the tone that you slap onto your world. Um, or at least to that story. Absolutely. And sometimes it's difficult for players to even know that yeah and so working like digging in and working through that a, a lot of especially first-time players have no idea they, they don't even know that there's a, a notion of different types of campaigns they just assume you know, if they've all... never if, if you've literally never even like heard an actual play or something you just assume like okay so we're gonna hit goblins with swords mm -hmm. uh yep. you know is that, that that's all they're that's all they're working on Explaining like, hey, what we're about to do is going to be um, emotionally taxing or very funny or don't take it too seriously or take it very seriously because we're going to be doing some sort of 
I don't know, very sullen campaign. Mm-hmm. But also, maybe maybe don't require very serious stuff on somebody's first try. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it unless they know what they're doing and you know what you're doing. That being said, I I do like the idea of deviating from the main tone every once in a while. My advice when it comes to something like that, though, is make sure there's not necessarily like a, a strong divide, but like a, I mean, I guess story-wise, a divide between that like very out of the norm tone to the rest of your story. So like if you enter a location that has a slightly different vibe to it and then making sure your players know when they physically leave that location and come back to the main story, the main plot that you're back into the serious vibe or whatever vibe you set up for that main story. Um, That locational difference kind of helps because then there's that expect you're priming them for something different. And then, okay, we're coming back to the real thing now. Um, so like literal locational differences, having them travel to a new place and to a new tone is a good way to kind of keep the reins on it a little bit. I, that's a perfect segue is it? <laughs> into what I want to talk about. Oh, hell yeah. Amazing. Well Podcasting. done. Podcasting. Thank you, Diana. Uh, <laughs> because I was, I wanted to, to sort of wrap us up on this subject, uh, oh. with hopefully a, a, a pretty good list for folks to, to have as a takeaway. So we've talked about picking your tone. We talked about running your tone, conveying the tone, changing the tone, taking something and flipping its tone. But what about as you're actually fleshing out your world, which is this is a world building podcast. As you're fleshing out your world, the impacts that your tone, your vibe will have on different locations and how those locations vary from each other. So exactly what Diana was just saying with, traveling like making physical distance be a separator to introduce a new vibe Mm -hmm. as you're designing your world you can think through all right i'm making a a bleak world what does that mean for the cities what does that mean i've got a list here i'm just going to read them off what does that mean for the cities the people the climate the history the politics and adventure the cities what what kind of resources do they have if it's if it's as we've talked about like a constantly overcast and gloomy kind of vibe maybe it's built such that they have to have a lot of irrigation they have to have a lot of of ways to get not not irrigation drainage they have to have Mm -hmm. everything has to be built around drainage that they can live at all out of the wet and and everything is just miserable and maybe you know what construction materials did they use to build their town because of this um if it's super if it's super wacky and jovial maybe Every building is just immaculately different and 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 made out of a different material and nothing matches and it's all super just you know slapdash. Um, for the people, are they are they optimistic? Are they sad? Are they depressed? Are they just going through their life and waiting to die? The climate, as we've talked about, if you want to make an oppressive feeling world, how oppressive? Are we talking overcast? Are we talking fog? Are we talking acid rain? Are we talking rain of fire? How oppressive are we talking? Because you can really <laughs> do a lot with climate. There's so much that we associate with sadness and happiness that are also literally just weathers. Rain, clouds, fog for sadness, confusion, and and just sorrow. And then sunshine and a, a, a light breeze for for happiness and optimism welcome to the atlas loom where we talk about your seasonal depression welcome to the Um, atlas loom 
send help in the form of uh, SSRIs. Can you tell we're filming this in the middle of winter? We're going to date this. It's uh, <laughs> it's not great. <laughs> Please send help. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, history and politics. What What is the history of is your world built on blood? Is, is it war-torn? Or has it been mostly peace and and you know people just kind of like living with nature and whatnot and then that also has an impact on what do the cities and people and towns look like and then finally adventure and possibly most important importantly adventure what quests are out there what do people need from you is it we need you to go save the entire world is it i can't find my family i think they've been taken from me and I also am, like, now very sickly and simply need closure before I leave this world. Goodness. Can you go find evidence of what happened to my family? Like, that's not going to be in an upbeat adventure. No. At that point, you have, like, three days before this sickly Victorian child, like, dies. And yep. you're just like, well, shit. All right. There goes the right, You're the one that made it further. a Victorian child. All right. <laughs> I was... I was imagining like old man who just wanted to know what the fate of his family was oh. you made it a victorian child can you tell i run horror campaigns <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> yeah it's all just adaptation it really and that is like the crux of world building and this is also me speaking as a zoology major like genuinely just this is the way the world is how do you adapt your lifestyle to fit that for those who are new here, we have a segment where we answer your guys' questions related to world building, GMing, storytelling, anything along those lines that you feel like you need help with. Uh, just let us know. Send us an email, wish at theatlasloom.com. That's W-I-S-H at theatlasloom.com. We got two to go over today. Uh, I'm going to read them off. Deb, you're going you're gonna to use your, your brain power here. And don't forget the sexual overtones. Um, Will do. All right, so our first wish day comes from Nehemia, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. If I'm not, uh, please forgive me and submit all your grievances to Diana Can't Pronounce Names for Shit at theatlasloop.com. Hold on, let me uh, make the Nehemi email address. <laughs> Nehemia says, I'm curious on how you can implement lunar slash solar slash planetary cycles in a world. The world that they're building has two large moons whose phases influence pretty much everything, holidays, etc., they ask, are there other ways that you would use these cycles to make the world more dynamic? Yes. Great. So our second question day. <laughs> so multiple moons is immediately fun because if you think about the effect that the moon has on, for example, tides, hmm. having multiple moons would be pretty chaos vis-a-vis -vis tides. Having moments where there are potential disasters because the moons are aligning in such a way that it brings a, a massive tsunami or something uh, your way. And that's just like a thing that astronomers now track. And they have, you know, every 150 years, this thing happens and it is a devastating thing. And they're trying to figure out where it's going to hit, when it's going to hit. Uh, that's an entire story right there. Maybe trying to prevent that from happening. Also, we're talking about celestial bodies. They could be under the control of gods and they could yeah. be influencing the world by way of just proximity. So having all these things sort of around your world, placing them there, the celestial bodies don't have to just follow like physics or whatnot. Like they can have magical impacts as well. Oh yeah. In my world, I make it so that the way that the moons interact with each other or are you know, an eclipsed moon and things like that. Uh, just a new moon, basically. Uh, I don't know why I said eclipsed moon, but it sounds cooler. 
has to do with the way that the gods are at war with each other. You know, the god of darkness versus the god of the moon and moonlight and things like that. And so that causes certain events. You can make it so lunar cycles are tied to gateways between the planes. Um, you can make it so that they're tied to different monster strengths. So uh, there's actually a a source book that I was gifted from Mana Project Studios. It's called Nightfell, uh, and it's like a 5e compatible module that introduces exactly that, like a fuck ton of lunar-based storylines, creatures, magic systems, things like that, where the phase of the moon that you're born in determines your abilities. And then in turn, every monster in the world is linked to a certain moon phase and they have new abilities unlocked if the moons happen to be in that phase. Um, you can do the same with pretty much anything. The idea of a of, of the planets aligning or cosmology aligning in a certain way that thins the barriers between worlds is really easy to kind of turn into a story plot line. Generally, you can make it influence the world however you want. I would just caution when it comes to the sun. The sun is really hard to fuck with. You can't have like two suns. I don't. Don't think, fuck right? with the sun. Don't fuck with the sun, guys. Uh, leave the sun alone. Um, that's, like, that's merch right there. Don't leave fuck the with sun the sun alone. <laughs> No, don't fuck with the sun. Hashtag don't fuck with the sun. Um, but like, you can't have two suns on a world, right? Because the fucking cycle. I mean, I guess if it works in the way it does I mean, in the real world, cycle definitely work, right? can. You can also have like a binary star, which is rad. A what? A binary star. It's when two, it's two stars that are in close orbit of each other and just spiral around each other, but they essentially Whoa. count as a single star. Oh, in that's In terms of cool. like gravitational force. That's awesome. I didn't know it was a thing. Yeah, that's yeah. a thing, and it's one of the coolest, like, celestial events, basically. Fucking uh, love nerds. Nerds are nerds. great. Another really interesting thing that you can do is just, like, change... Take existing take existing concepts and change the vibes! Uh, <laughs> eclipses are, are usually a rare event. They are usually something that is meaningful. If, if you wanted to make it tied to, as Diana was alluding or talking about, like having creatures tied to the sun or whatever, they did it in Avatar. When, this, when there's a solar eclipse, the firebenders lose their ability to use fire. Um, Whoa, really? Yeah, that's like a whole, that's like the whole thing. Um, oh, same with the moon Avatar and waterbenders. Oh, well, you should fix that. Um, in a very wonderful game, and I'm just going to go ahead and give a flat a flat plug shout out because the guy that makes this game is, is great. The game itself is very, very great. It's called Eastshade, and it is a nonviolent RPG where you are a painter uh, solving the world's problems by essentially taking screenshots because the game is like ludicrously pretty. And you walk around with an easel and like make paintings of landscapes to make people happy. But in the game, they have a, a concept that every day at noon, there is a total solar eclipse. Whoa. And that is just a part of their life. That is just a normal happenstance. And so every day when you're walking around midday, it goes dark for a little while. And you can and there are things that you like need to do during the eclipse. There are things that only appear for moments during the eclipse. There are Ooh. artwork that you there's artwork that you need to get specifically. Like I want to, like somebody might say, I want to see this cliffside in the light of the eclipse because that's when I met my true love and I want that memory to last with me forever. And so you need to go and find that cliffside and like time it so that you can get a shot of it during the eclipse or something like that, where you have a routine, significant celestial impact on the world that changes everything. Yeah. Even if it's only momentary. Timing, I guess. If your players aren't good with timing, be wary of that, but... 
it's it's a cadence that is set for your world and all you have to do is just attach some things to that cadence this next one comes from aondar uh who says that we can also call him aon for short if easier the question asks how can someone at any stage in their world building career create nations and kingdoms that truly feel alive or at the very least feel genuine what processes might there be to help this feel more natural when making them the only thing I would advise when it comes to things like kingdom scale and nation scale things is try not to make every single kingdom and every single nation the exact same. Like just being stuck in like the, oh, you know, the the exact same tone, kind of like we were talking about earlier, different locations have different aspects to them, you know, different climates that will impact how people live and operate in those locations, which will impact the tone, things like that. Um, trying to make different nations and kingdoms distinct from each other is a fucking task. Mm-hmm. I I suck at it. All of my kingdoms in my world are pretty much the exact same, but to circumvent that on your end, and it'll take some work, uh, it's to kind of dive into like what their motivations are as a nation, as a kingdom, you know, what po- politically. Who runs the place? What type of government system do they have? Is it a monarchy, oligarchy? You know, is it religious based? Is it familial? Anything like that? Um, how are their interactions with neighboring kingdoms, neighboring nations? You know, how do different geographical parts of the landmass that they control impact their relationships with their neighbors? What are their current goals? Kind of like think of it as you would a NPC. What are its goals? What are its relationships? What does it want? What does it look like? What does it want to accomplish? I don't know. Anything like that. Just try and sit down, ask yourself questions. That's a gist of all of the, <laughs> all of our answers today is ask yourself questions and try and make it distinct from each other so that way that there's a different feel when your characters go from one kingdom to another. Otherwise, it's it, it won't make it. You may as well just have everything in the same spot, you know? I think it's critically important to dial up, dial home the making it different. Um, I think there's, if you want to talk about making believable and genuine nations and kingdoms, what causes nations and kingdoms to be separate? Typically, it is a difference in culture, a disagreement in how society should be structured, or some other significant barrier that makes it so that, that either, if it's not the people that don't mesh, it's the leadership that doesn't mesh. Maybe there's a, a kingdom that's got a a, you know, conqueror as their leader and another another you know i wouldn't even call it a kingdom but the polar opposite a like tribal land that is being attacked by the conqueror who wants to take it over those are radically different political structures motivations cultures it really comes down to you have to nail that cultural difference not every single country in the real world is super radically culturally different but a lot of them are and if you want to, if you're building a world and for the sake of practicality, for making it feel alive and distinct, answering the question of how do these people live? What differentiates this, this populace? Are they communal in living? Are they super individualistic? Are they material? Are they immaterial? Are they pious? Are they not? The notion that, you know, unilaterally, like we are great, they are barbaric that rhetoric is what causes these big divides. And so mm-hmm. how is that being portrayed in your world? Or in my opinion, more interestingly, how does your world not have that? Because not every world needs to be steeped in strife and hatred. Yeah. Fucking illithid colonies all have the same sort of every, every single person in those colonies has the exact same vibe due to a governing. Well, I mean, in this case, a literal high mind, but like, 
they all believe very strongly in this one thing. That's just how it is, you know? Mm. Honestly, elephants, they're the real utopia. I, I'd heard elephants for a second there. I know that's not what I know you I said too. elephants. But <laughs> elephants I gotta start are saying mind player. I, I don't know when I got so pretentious that I started actually using the word elephant, uh, <laughs> but goddamn, I <laughs> I need to stop. That is going to do it for our wishes today. As always, if you would like to send us a wish, if you have a question, a comment, you're stuck on something, we would love to help you. Send us a wish. Wish at theatlasloom.com. That is wish at theatlasloom.com. You can also head to theatlasloom.com where you can sign up to get new episodes emailed directly to you right as they drop. Or you can sign up to become a Gilded World Weaver. You can support the show, and we would very much appreciate your support. Thank you so much for everyone who already has. And you get access to a bunch of wonderful bonus content. A new a new episode of bonus content just went out right before we started recording this. I mean, and it, like, I think it's pretty night. funny. Midnight. I was out. I was editing it. It's so good. It's so funny. Please watch it's, it. I just want somebody to see it. <laughs> I saw it. Am the I not good enough? Desperate for approval. <laughs> <laughs> if you're curious to know more about us as people beyond the Atlas Loom, as TTRPG content creators, creators in general, just generally swell folk, uh, you can find either of us individually on all forms of social media. I am Diana Fay, better known as Diana of the Rose, uh, literally everywhere, mostly on TikTok, on Twitch, and whatnot, uh, talking about a lot of DD. I'm a DD girly, but also anything whatever i feel like uh and then endeavors here has his own stuff he's got his own fancy website don't y'all i have a website yeah uh <laughs> you can find everything that i do there use your favorite web browsing application on your favorite hardware device that is capable of running web browsing this is going great um mm-hmm. you can also find me as endeavorance on tiktok you can find me as Endeavorance TV on Twitch. I'm mad about that. But <laughs> if you want to make it easy, just head to endeavorance.camp. All my stuff is there. Uh, I also will say, a slight self-plug, I have started a new section on my website for aspiring creators where I am compiling and uploading my notes as I learn how to do things. So Whoa. I've got an article up there about my recording and editing process as well as an article about my streaming setup uh, my audio video streaming setup so i link directly to all the products that i use i explain the hardships that i ran into the 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 notes that i had to struggle to learn uh and i'm hoping that this will help anyone else who is who's interested it's completely free it's i'm not going to put it behind a paywall ever it's the knowledge like this should not be uh hidden Uh, rising tides and all that so. We love creators helping other creators. Thank you so much for listening to the Atlas Loom. Our paths will cross again soon, but in the meantime, keep on weaving your worlds, and we will see you all in the next episode. Can we get back to the sexual overtones? <laughs> <laughs>